0: Well, good morning, good morning, a great day to celebrate Palm Sunday and to welcome new members and to celebrate our unity in Christ. Uh, let us pray. Good and gracious God, as we embark on this Holy Week journey once again, we pray that this morning you will increase our faith that you will open our ears and open our hearts more widely to your word, your promise of love and mercy and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Make us ready to receive you, to walk with you to the cross, and to celebrate your resurrection on Easter Sunday. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It always strikes me on Palm Sunday how quickly we go. From Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord to crucify him. Uh, It's the all of Holy Week in a single moment. Um, We travel these eight days from Palm Sunday to Good Friday and the tragedy of the cross to the ultimate triumph of life over death and love over hate at Easter. Uh, And I invite you to join us as we deepen the journey this week. You know, there is so much to see and explore in the story of Jesus' passion. There's no way to capture it all in a single sermon. And so come and listen and experience the mystery and the love of God once again this week. And sometimes when there's so much to choose from, even in one gospel reading, uh, the thing to do is to find a small thing uh, that opens up the text and the story to us in a new and deeper way and illuminates the story of Jesus as a whole. And that little piece, that little part of the story that is spoken to me this week and this morning is the very moment in the story when Jesus breathes his last breath. On the cross, Mark says, Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This curtain in the temple that gets torn in two is a small but important detail in Jesus' passion. It's not just window dressing, if you will excuse the pun, but because this curtain wasn't just any curtain. Uh, Strangely, this week, I had a little hands-on experience with curtains myself. Um, After two and a half years of living in the parsonage, we finally finished hanging the last of our new curtains at our house. On Friday, Friday night, with the help of Brendan Namira, uh, because I'm not handy in, uh, whatsoever, uh, we hung Roman shades, uh, which I learned are a kind of curtain um, that may have something to do with the Roman Empire, but I don't know. <laughs> in any event, it's so nice at long last to have all of these curtains, these shades, uh, put up. It gives us a little more privacy. You can dampen the light when you need it and have some more warmth and decoration in the house. I never really thought about it, but curtains can make you feel warm and safe and even happy. But the curtain in the temple that we hear about in our gospel is a whole different order of magnitude. It was beautiful, but it wasn't meant to cover a window. Instead, it was to separate the most holy part of the Jewish temple, the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant, which held the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments and thought to be the very presence of God, was kept from the rest of the temple. And so in the midst of this huge, sprawling temple, the Holy of Holies was the most sacred place, the dwelling place of God. Not just the holiest place in the temple, but the holiest place on earth. The curtain... Was meant to separate out God's presence from the rest of the world. And that space was so holy that the temple priests only entered that space once a year to make sacrifices and contrition on behalf of God's people. The book of Exodus describes what this curtain was like. It says, You shall make a curtain of blue, purple, and crimson yarns, and of fine twisted linen. It shall be made with cherubim, skillfully worked into it. You shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, which have hooks of gold and rest on four silver bases. You shall hand the curtain under the clasp and bring the Ark of the Covenant in there, within the curtain. And the curtain shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. And so this curtain, which tears when Jesus releases his last breath, has great spiritual and symbolic significance. And Bible scholars John Dominic Crossan and Marcus Borg have written that in Jesus' time, the Jewish temple was the sacred center of the Jewish world. It was the navel of the earth, connecting this world to its source, to God. And here and only here was God's dwelling place on earth. God was everywhere, but God was especially present in the temple. To be in the temple, they say, was to be in God's presence. The temple and the Holy of Holies was the world's, the universe's, spiritual center of gravity. But I didn't need Bible scholars to tell me that. Perhaps, like some of you, I learned that lesson early on in life as a kid, watching the movie Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Do you remember that movie where the Nazi villains capture the Ark of the Covenant and they open it up on a remote island and it destroyed everyone who gazed on it? Remember the one guy's face melts and scarred my eight-year-old self? Well, I learned in that movie from Indiana Jones that whatever you do, you have to keep your eyes closed because the holy is too terrifyingly beautiful to behold. In the very moment of Jesus' death, the temple curtain is torn, and it symbolizes that in his death and later in his rising, Jesus destroys the distance, the separation between God and God's people, between God and us. Jesus came so that we might have direct and immediate and personal access to God. No longer did you need a priest to go once a year to sacrifice on your behalf to secure your forgiveness. No longer did you need to make a sacrifice or earn your salvation by your own good works. God was open to and for all, available to everyone. And that's what Jesus did in his life, didn't he? He came as a baby, as a child called Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was God, walking on the beach and riding in boats and sitting by wells, eating in people's homes, weeping over departed loved ones, listening and laughing, riding on a donkey, turning over tables, and hanging on a cross. And Jesus, God came to be with us in every possible part of our lives. In his death, he obliterates the distance between us and God once and for all. God's love and forgiveness and favor no longer rest on our actions, but on God's gift. No longer for some, but for all. And yet, we can still think of God as somewhere out there, as other, as so far beyond us, so far away. At times, we can think that holy places are to be separated out, that certain curtains need to remain up. That these places are holy because they are exclusive, or they are exclusive because they are holy. In medieval cathedrals, for instance, the high altar, considered the holiest part of the cathedral, was often separated from the people by a wood or metal screen that reserved that space exclusively for the priests. The message was this, holy was separate. Holy was the providence of some, but not others. And yet what we see in the life of Jesus is that the holy dwells among us. Take, for instance, the altar or the table. On Monday, Thursday, we recount how Jesus sat at the table for his last supper with his betrayer, Judas, with his denier, Peter, with his beloved disciple, John, and the rest of the disciples who had run away when he was crucified. And in life... He ate with people from every walk of life, a cross-section of humanity. And so for Jesus and in Jesus, the holiest place, the table, the place where we encounter the real presence of God and bread and wine, his body and blood, becomes the most open place. Not hidden behind a curtain or visited once a year by the high priest or once a week by the pastors, but God at table inviting humanity into relationship. The altar, the table, what some consider the holiest place in the sanctuary, becomes the most open place, the most welcoming place, as does the baptismal font, where Joshua House will be baptized later this morning. What the torn temple curtain shows us is that in Jesus, the most holy place becomes the most open place, not for some, but for all, not just in the sanctuary, but in our daily lives. And so it is in our daily lives. God is present in all the world, let loose in the world and in our lives. And knowing that God is present to us at all times and in all places, uh, we look for and encounter moments, uh, as the author Wendy Wright has written, that are at once terribly mundane and so transparently sacred, ordinary moments that for an instant connect us to the depth and width and height and length of love. We don't need to go anywhere or do anything. Each of our lives has become a spiritual center of gravity, of God's own making. As Belden Lane writes, religion isn't always a matter of otherworldly transcendence. It continually sets up shop in the ordinary. In riding on a simple donkey... Tried and crucified as a common criminal, hung between two thieves and laid in a common grave, and in rising again, Jesus shows us that God has come to be with us at every place and every time of our lives, with us and for us then and now and always. Finally, as one commentator observes, on the cross, Jesus draws his followers close to God once and for all, As we read in Hebrews, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. The tearing of the curtain as Jesus breathes his last symbolizes Christ's most central work. He overcomes the distance between God and us. Amen.